Good morning. Merry Christmas. Um, two readings this morning. The first one is from Matthew, um, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Um, there are some red Bibles. Um, if you want, put your hand up if you want one, or find it on your device, or is it going to be on the screen? Um, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Um, The second reading is from Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." Thanks for reading, Corinne. Morning, everyone, and happy Christmas to you. My name's Ben. I'm the pastor here. Um, You'll find on the back of your service sheets a little outline of the talk for this morning. And I want to start by saying Christmas is weird. There there is something shocking about Christmas, isn't there? That, That reading that we had from Matthew tells us about wise men who come from the East to worship the baby Jesus. Uh, I don't know about you, when the reading came, it says, and on coming to the house, they 
They saw Mary with the baby. And, and what do we expect? When you see a baby, what normally happens? You say, goo goo gaga, aren't you gorgeous? But no, Matthew tells us these wise men, they bowed down flat on their faces and worshipped the baby. Now we've got a few babies here at Barney's. Tobias is our newest baby. If you saw me worshipping, worshipping Tobias, you would not think I was wise. You'd probably think I'd poured too much brandy on my Christmas pudding. But these dignified, important, intelligent men, these wise men, what do they do when they find the baby Jesus? They worship him. That is shocking. But there's something even more shocking. In that second reading that we had from Philippians chapter 2, in this reading we're told about what Jesus was thinking before he was born. Just let that sink in for a minute. What Jesus was thinking before he was born. Look with me again at the beginning of that reading. Uh, I've got control. Here we go. Shocking. Christmas is shocking. There we go. Wise men falling on their faces before a baby. And here we go. In your relationships with one another, says the Apostle Paul, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Okay, so these verses give us an insight into the mindset of Christ. Christ's way of thinking. Verse 6 tells us that he is in very nature God. In other words... He is completely equal with God his Father. He has all the power and privileges of divinity. But verse 6, Jesus considers. He thinks to himself, just because I'm equal with God, I'm not going to use that to serve myself. Rather, I'm going to use it to serve others. I'm going to pour myself out in service. Verse 7 says, he made himself nothing. Literally, he emptied himself. So imagine for a minute the most enormous dam, trillions and trillions of gallons of water, it's full to overflowing, and then the gates of that dam are opened up and it empties out completely, the water just pouring out. That's a bit of an image for what Jesus did. He chose to pour himself out for the world. Verse 8 tells us he humbled himself. He left the riches of heaven and became poor. He left the throne to become a servant. He gave up the honor of heaven for the shame of the cross. When you see Jesus in the manger, it's like watching a man falling. Because he's coming from the highest of heights. And he's coming down. He's heading down all the way to death. To death on a cross. And what we're being told here by the Apostle Paul is that all of that happens, that the manger and the cross, it all happens because Jesus made a decision. He considered his options. He he weighed it up. On the one hand, he could stay in heaven and hold on to his divine privileges. But Jesus thought, no. He climbed down from the throne and he humbled himself. He took on human flesh, born as one of us, and he came 
to pour himself out in service. Just imagine this coming week, once the Christmas festivities are over and you're just slobbing around at home watching the test match in your undies and you get a knock at the door and you go to answer it and who is standing on the doorstep but King Charles. He's come all the way from England to your home and as you stand there with your jaw on the floor, he says, please don't get up, I've just come to do a spot of cleaning. He walks into your house takes off his royal robe, puts on an apron, some rubber gloves, starts cleaning the dirty dishes in your sink. And when he's finished there, he heads into the bathroom to clean your toilet. What would you think? Funny, crazy. Friends, Jesus has come from far greater heights and he stooped to far greater depths. He has served you and me in the most incredible way. The baby in the manger is the king of heaven, stooping down to serve you. But there's a question, isn't there? How does Jesus serve us? How is Jesus' life and death 2,000 years ago of any service to us today? Well, in the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, Jesus says this about himself and why he came. He says, even the Son of Man, that's a title Jesus used for himself. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What's a ransom? It's the price you pay to set someone free. So Jesus is saying that his his life, his death, is some sort of payment to rescue people. That's why Jesus says he's come, because he thinks that we need rescuing. His coming is a rescue mission. Remember what we've already heard, the angel, what the angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news, it will cause great joy for all people today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. Remember what the angel said to Joseph, give him the name Jesus because... He will save his people from their sins. Save his people from their sins. Jesus has come down in order to serve us, in order to save us. Born as one of us to die on behalf of us. Taking on himself all our sin and wrongdoing. Paying the penalty that our sin deserves so we can be forgiven. The Apostle Peter says, Christ died Once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Jesus has come down to join us in our mess so that we might join him in his family. That's the shock of Christmas, and it is shocking. Now I want to draw out three quick implications of this. Firstly, Jesus reveals the true nature of God. Jesus is God in human flesh. God revealing himself in a way that we can understand. And so if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. My son Jacob loves to say, Jesus is God. Sometimes he says it the other way around. God is Jesus. And both are true. God is Jesus. Jesus reveals the true nature of God's. 
And what is that nature? Well, it's what we've seen. He's a God who stoops, who serves, who suffers and dies. A God who humbles himself, who comes down for our sake. A God made low to raise us up. In the lead up to Christmas, I've uh, been rereading bits of this book by the late Bishop of Winchester, John V. Taylor, also my grandfather. Here he is, good-looking chap. In a, a chapter titled The True Image of God, he says, At Christmas time all over the world, the eyes of millions are turned towards one point. The birth in the cave stable has laid hold of human imaginations so that we feel it is not just an attractive incident, but an event which tells a secret and gives us the clue to the meaning of everything. The baby in the manger tells us what God is like and what he is doing with the world. He goes on, whichever way you look at it, the birth at Bethlehem and the death on the cross disclose the same secret about God, the same mystery that no logic could have worked out nor imagination guessed, God's weakness. That quite extraordinary, almost unthinkable phrase gives us the secret of Christmas, God's weakness. For the other religions of the world, this view of God It is either ridiculous or it's scandalous. But for Christians, it is glorious. We worship a God who became weak and poor in order to serve us. A God who poured himself out for our sake. In Glenn Scrivener's poem, he says, This God in the manger uproots all our notions. A heavenly stooping, divine emotion." Born in a stable, wriggling on straw, fully committed to life in the roar. To a world in need, he did not send another. God the Son became God our brother. He drew alongside forever to dwell, our God in the flesh, Emmanuel. Jesus reveals the true nature of God. And for those with eyes to see, it is glorious. Secondly, Jesus restores true humanity. What does God the Father think of Jesus' humble service? Is he like an embarrassed parent, cringing as his child dishonors the family name? Is he thinking, Jesus, what are you doing? You're my son. Stop degrading yourself as a servant. No, not at all. Verse 9 tells us, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. In other words, because of Christ's humility and service and submitting himself to death on the cross for our sake. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. What does God think of Jesus' actions? He is absolutely delighted. He's like a proud father saying, that's my boy. God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee, yours and mine, should bow. Every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God, God the Father says, look at my son. This is what true divinity looks like. And this is what true humanity looks like. Again, John V. Taylor says this. Do you not see the contrast 
between our instinctive self-preservation and the mind of the eternal Son of God, who did not count his divinity a thing to be grasped. When God created humanity in his own likeness, this is what he expected to see reflected there. The same readiness to let self go, to be given away out of love and thankfulness. But we lost our likeness to our Father and fell into anxiety, mistrust, and obsessive self-preservation until God himself came among us as a man to live out the divine self-abandonment in our frail flesh. In Jesus, the image of our humble, self-giving God was perfectly restored in human nature. And to as many as received him and let their mind be made one with his mind and his spirit be made one with their spirit, to them he gave power to become God's children, bearing the same family likeness. Jesus restores the image of God to humanity and works by his spirit to restore that image in us who believe. We are called to have the same mindset as Christ, the same way of thinking, the same attitude of selfless service for the sake of others. Jesus restores true humanity. Thirdly, finally, Jesus is the true hope of the world. There is hope for this world because Jesus is Lord. This is the wonderful message of the gospel. Jesus is Lord. Not just there is a Lord, not just someone is Lord, but Jesus is Lord. The one who shares our humanity. The one who came as our servant. The one who gave his life for us out of infinite love. He is now Lord. The one who now sits on the throne of heaven is the one who died in our place on the cross. The one who rules the world is the one who revealed his heart for the world when he came in humility not to be served but to serve. The government of this world is in good hands because it's in Jesus' hands. Hands that still bear the marks of his crucifixion, the marks of his love. And although evil and injustice continue to plague the world, King Jesus has promised he will put things right when he comes again. He's promised to restore this world, to heal the brokenness. And he's promised to restore us, to raise us up to share his glory. He came to join us in our mess so we might join him in his family. He came to be one with us that we might be one with him. And if we're one with him, then where he goes, we go. Sometimes that'll mean going down, being a servant, being humble, doing the household chores that no one sees or bothers to thank you for, opening your heart, opening your home to someone in need, Filling in on the roster when someone's sick. Reaching out in love to the stranger, to the enemy. Sometimes it means going down. And there's a joy in going down and being like Jesus in humble service. But the ultimate destination is always up. Jesus has gone before us. He's been exalted and glorified. And he will raise us up to share his glory. And our eyes at last shall see him through his own redeeming love 
For that child so dear and gentle is our Lord in heaven above. And he leads his children on to the place where he has gone. Well, what do you think of the wise men now? Do you understand their worship? Do you see in Jesus the glory of God, the God made low to raise us up? And so this Christmas, let us come and adore him. Let us come and adore him. Let us worship Jesus and let us serve one another in Jesus' name. Worship Jesus and serve others. Let's pray together. And just a few moments in quiet to reflect, to consider this Christmas, how are you going to worship Jesus? How are you going to serve others? prayer adapted from Charles Spurgeon. O precious Lord Jesus Christ, we adore you with all our heart. You are exalted as Lord of all. We praise you for emptying yourself, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. We praise you for taking us into union with yourself. You have given your life for your people and ransomed us with your own blood. Therefore, may you be forever worshipped and adored. And may you transform our mind and heart evermore to your likeness. For the glory of your name we pray. Amen.